You are listening to WLUW 88.7 Chicago Independent Community Radio. This is Blindspot. Tonight, on the 60th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy, Blindspot is proud to present D-Day 60, a live restaging of the storming of Omaha Beach, featuring the talents of Jacob Christopher, Brian Taylor, Peter Rosenblum, Philip Vonswack, and myself, I'm John Wenzel. It was the largest ever amphibious operation and considered the turning point of World War II, almost 7,000 vessels at sea, 133,000 men in the landing force, set against a continent of Germans. On the sandy beach designated as Omaha, 34,000 GIs landed, most hundreds yards away from cover. The Germans, in bluffs, swept the beach with bullets, over 3,000 casualties within a short couple of hours, over 3,000 Purple Hearts, one of which was my great-uncle Harold. There was a dense fog that morning. Freedom was the prayer that day. Even through all the pain, there was a dense fog. Supreme Commander of the Allied Exhibitionary Force, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, did not sleep that night. The clock struck midnight. It's June 6, 1944. The liberation of Europe has begun.
Years ago, Uncle Harold told me how he enlisted in the Navy to avoid the draft. sleep in the barracks or tents. Many of his school friends received deferments because they were the only son of farmers. He called them draft dodgers. Harold was a pharmacist's first mate. He told me that the good food was the, one of the reasons he joined the Navy. They had beans every week and cold cuts on Sundays. Harold was on an LTS landing craft during both waves of the invasion of Omaha Beach. He unloaded tanks and equipment, taking back casualties, and gave emergency first aid to the ones that had a chance to survive. He was grazed by a bullet. He never stepped foot in France. He never talks about the war. I had to pry these few facts from him. He wouldn't tell me anymore. Every time I tried to bring it up, my aunt pulled me aside and told me to stop. Later, I was told he spent time in a hospital. It wasn't for his bullet wound. In 1949, he became a mortician. All the family funerals were held at this workplace. We got a discount. He once told me he liked working there. Not much small talk with the clientele. The question that I never asked him about was about the death. I know my aunt would never let me. I, have, I haven't found the proper words. It has to do with the dead bodies. Did he see more death as a mortician? Or as a pharmacist's first mate? My grandpa was in the Army stateside. He was a training officer for new recruits, 500 at a time, two weeks footwork, two weeks technical training, and two weeks simulated battle. He told me once he must have trained 12,500 men. He didn't know if any of them were a part of D-Day, but he figured that some of them must have been. His brother John, my namesake, looked after my grandma and my mother while grandpa was training people for war. My grandmother was a pregnant teenager when he left. She didn't know how to drive. She didn't have a job. I'm sure she was scared. I think my grandmother cries herself to sleep, even today. When, when I see her, she always looks like she's on the verge of tears. She has a hearing aid that doesn't work, eats eggs every morning, and will most likely outlive my older brother. Over Memorial Day weekend, my grandfather said he was no longer going to eat ketchup due to John Kerry's wife being the heir of the Heinz fortune. Uncle Harold was quiet. He doesn't make eye contact with me anymore. I think it's because he thinks I'm a Democrat. A couple of Christmases ago, I gave him one of those books about the greatest generation, about how much he has suffered in hopes that it would make him not think of me as a Democrat. He said he liked the book. I just hope he never finds out that I'm a member of the Green Party.
4.30 a.m. You hear the call. Rangers, man your boats. You get your pack, your gun, your life preserver, and your morphine. You walk down the steel corridor to your assigned LCA. You wait to embark. The boat is lifted into the water. You circle around. The forces assemble. You are more seasick than nervous. You look over the bow of, of the landing craft. 150 medium bombers let their payloads fall. The beach lights up. They're really cleaning the beaches. H-hour approaches. You are the force, first forces in Europe. Two-thirds of you are not expected to return. You do not expect to return. You have never been in battle. You are more afraid of drowning than enemy fire. Your commander comes by and pats you on the shoulder, says some encouraging words. You do not hear them. Your ears are focused on the sound of the waves. As you approach the beach, your LCA gets caught on a sandbar. The coxswain says he can't go any further. The captain orders... Push on. I don't want my men to die in the water. Push on. Give it one more push. The coxswain, they can't drown out here. The coxswain pushes the engine and advances the craft several hundred yards. It can't go any further. Further, The captain shouts... Pull the pin. The navy man drops the ramp and water rushes in. You are out. The water is waist high. You can't run. You wade through, pushing a bit harder with the incoming waves. You, you have to keep pushing. Drenched in water with an 87-pound pack on, you, you have to keep pushing. You look down. Red. Bodies all around. No medics. They're drowning in their own blood. You push on. The bullets whisper to you as they fly by. Your foot feels warm. You keep pushing forward. The water is at your knees. You can almost run. You drop down, finding cover behind a steel obstacle. Behind you, a British LCI, German, tr German guns trained on the opening. As they exit, cut in half, shot in the head, clutching his heart, got through. Hit in the shoulder, most are rolling with the waves. Towards the cliffs, German pillboxes, tracer bullets lighting up the beach, patterns of bodies lie where they fell. You empty your clip towards the cliffs, only 300 yards to the rocks. Only 300 yards to the rocks. You move, firing as you shuffle, jump up, hide behind a dead corporal. You move, firing as you shuffle, your rifle jams, you toss it aside, you move, you jump down, you hide behind a dead sergeant, you take his gun, you leave your pack and wait. Nowhere to go. The thud, thud, thud of bombs fills your ears. The destroyers at sea flash, the cliffs, cliffs ahead flash, the ground 100 feet away comes raining down. You run, you fire, you jump down. You run, you fire, you hide. Others do the same. You do not look at them. You reach the rocks. A captain is rallying his troops. Another is running around, blood pouring down his forehead, cursing at the Germans, shooting into the air. He's cut in half. Moaning soldiers lay all around. A pillbox explodes. A landing craft is destroyed. You finally notice it's foggy. You are sitting in a puddle. A private is wrapping up your foot, asking if you are okay, if you need some morphine, if you can go on. You can. You fire. He fires. You fire. He fires. You fire. You wait. You fire. You move. An another hundred feet. You see a sergeant. He's hit in the shoulder. 
you wrap it up, you ask if he's okay, if he needs some morphine, if he can go on. You fire. He fires. You fire. He fires. You fire. You both, both wait. wait. You move another hundred feet. A pillbox is destroyed. You fire. He fires. You both, both wait. wait. You look down, and your hands are trembling.
been circling for three hours. You have your eyes keyed in on the shore most of the time. Watching the bombs, the explosions. You don't know how many are getting through to the rocks. The captain tells the coxswain to head in. It's time. You tell yourself you aren't seasick. You tell yourself that you're brave. You approach the beach. The coxswain pushes the engine and advances the craft several hundred yards. It can't go any further. The captain shouts. Pull the pin. Water rushes in. You're out. The water is at your shins. You can't run. Moaning shoulders, shoulder, shoulders litter the beach, drenched in water. The medics ask who's injured. All that can answer is say I. You push on. Small arms fire. A pillbox explodes. You reach a steel obstacle. You crouch down. A smattering of machine gun fire. You empty your clip towards the cliffs. Your commander rallies you and your buddies. You run toward the rocks. You move, you jump down, you hide behind the rocks, you wait. You wait. Machine gun fire fractures the rock. Dust. You have to move. Your shoulders warm. You empty your clip toward the cliffs. You crouch, you run, you jump down. Towards the cliffs, rangers scampering up. Explosion. You wait for your commander. You empty your clip toward the cliffs. A squad of Germans rushes you from the flank. You fire. They fire. You fire. You fire. They fire. You fire. You fire. You hide. You move. You fire. You find religion. They fire. A sergeant besides you gets hit. You take over his machine gun. You fire. You fire. You fire. You wait. You patch up the sergeant. You give him some morphine. You wait.
and I hear a voice within the whirlwind. I hear the trumpets, I hear the piper's pipe. Armageddon looks easy to me. I can't find you in the darkness of this day. Through the day, as if on an ocean, waiting here, always failing to remember why we came, came, came. I wonder why we came. The bullets whisper as they fly by. My foot feels warm. I have to keep pushing forward. The beach has never changed. Bodies fall, trying to forget what I've left behind. You talk to me as if from a distance and I reply with impressions chosen from another time 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 from another time
There was a dense fog that morning. It was the largest ever amphibious operation and considered the turning point of World War II. June 6, 1944 has concluded. The troops have set up the base camp on Omaha Beach. The push towards Paris awaits. Blind Spot, D-Day 60, a live restaging of the storming of Omaha Beach was written and composed by John Wenzel. Featuring Jacob Christopher on computer, Peter Rosenblum on cello, as well as the voices of Brian Taylor and John Wenzel. This program was engineered by Philip von Zweck. Each week, Blindspot creates a unique vision for radio, producing new experimental work every Sunday night from 10 to 11 p.m. right here on Chicago's independent community radio, WLUW. Tune in next week, June 13th, for Radio Bingo. That's right, radio called live on the air. If you're interested in playing, call the studio line at 773-508-WLUW. That's 508-WLUW, and we'll send you a card. Or, if you'd rather email us, we can be reached at blindspotradio at earthlink.net. That's blindspotradio, all one word, at earthlink.net. And we'll put it in the mail on Monday. For more information about this program, future shows, or the community of artists, performers, musicians, writers, and art professionals that are involved in Blindspot, please visit our website. We're located at stopgostop.com. That's stopgostop.com, and just click on the logo for Blindspot. Thank you for listening. This is Blindspot.